as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Like a creature crawling out from the muck, Mystery Science Theater 3000 has staggered back to life. Hey, out of my way, air sucker. Mystery Science Theater 3000, only on the Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel rescues Mystery Science Theater 3000 from oblivion, and the critics cheer. The funniest. Hey, who are you calling? Oh, compliment. <laughs> the kookiest. Yep, we're right up there with 60 minutes. <laughs> the best show on TV. Thanks a lot, guys. Your checks are in the mail. <laughs> Incoming. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Only on the Sci-Fi Channel. Today at 4 p.m. Eastern, Sci-Fi Saturday. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Alrighty, I got Mike in sing, and we're just going to be discussing the Mike era of Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> Mike, I'm Mike. Right. <laughs> Mike knows too much about Mr. Mike. Um, yeah. So I thought you did a good job just kind of summing up Joel's formula. Now we're on to the second era where he takes over midway through season five and lasts till season seven on Comedy Central. He goes and does the movie and then he does seasons eight through nine and ten on sci-fi channel and then you know they're quiet for a while and he launches rift tracks so uh just how did you feel like this era of it evolved because you got the mads dr forster and tv's frank still here and then they slowly introduce Dr. Forrester's equally evil mom, uh, Pearl, <laughs> and then she I shows you my up. Mother's here? You're right. Yeah. You, I mean, my mother's here, and then she shows up and with a Planet of the Apes inspired henchman, Bobo, and a uh, telepathic uh, weird guy called you know called Observer, also known as Brain Guy. So, well, uh, yeah. Real quick, when they did the movie, the continuity is a little weird. Because remember, when they ended on Comedy Central, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but they did the energy blip thing, and they went and they drifted away the, the energy dots, the Mike and the bots, remember? Uh, briefly, but yeah, this is like, the, we already kind of knew that Forster was, you know. Yeah, so my theory away. on the movie is it's just, there's no Frank and there's no mom. My theory is they went to the energy dots. They went to an alternate universe for that one episode <laughs> where Forster uh, was actually he's a little meaner. I kind of got the sense that it's somewhere in between the Comedy Yeah, Central. of course, that's right. Forrester goes, a, doesn't he become a baby again at the end of the... Right, right, right. So, I mean, yeah. at the same time, I mean, it is just a show and they it's a kid. <laughs> it should really so just would, relax, yeah. Yeah, but, hey. yeah. So anyway, I think it's somewhere there. But yeah. yeah, I'm jumping up ahead there. But uh, so the first Mike movie was uh, Brain That Wouldn't Die, which is which was kind of a signpost that Mike tended to do movies were a little bit. He has so many sleepers from Comedy Central era that do yeah. not get talked about enough. Like Dust Stalker and the Warriors from Hell is a hysterical, you know, Roger Corman doing his more of his sword and sorcery 
knockoff movies on Conan the Barbarian and it's like this is the third one and they're just making fun of just the stilted acting on convincing theater type you know play sets and I mean Escape 2000 I mean is a pretty involving one because they're talking about the Bronx Warriors which were a bunch of Mad Max Escape from New York knockoff movies this is the second one and much like Mitchell you know Joel's final movie is like the print they got was edited for TV so Right. It's so funny how the character who they thought died actually technically survives the movie if you watch it on cut. They're both fun, watchable. Oh, really? Oh, the, and the, thing, the guy in the boat? Right. And so then Mike uh-huh. has this skit. Technically, it still kind of works because Mike comes back as the character from the movie, Toblerone, and he's wanting to date Pearl. He's like, hey, hey. And so it's just so hysterical seeing, again, even though Mike was still host, he was still doing the various, like, you know, guest spot characters, you know, that appear in the segments. And yeah. He's still on fire just playing him. And here he is playing Toblerone, this stuck up, you know, wannabe gangster Italian guy. <laughs> he just has done a perfect job of just imitating the guy's laughter and he's hitting on Pearl. And Dr. Forrester's like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, and they did away with the invention exchange rather quickly because that really wasn't Mike's thing, and which is okay because that established his character over Joel. And they I- did good by just kind of just getting very just in the mood for just trying different things and sticking with it as opposed to not sure what to do so wandering around aimlessly <laughs> yeah not, we're, we're talking about the comedy the, the final comedy central seasons right at this point yeah yeah and because you, once you get sci-fi it's a whole different thing again but we'll get to that um yeah because i mean i definitely yeah sci-fi is a whole different oyster in that even when you get away from yes they often talked about how at that point they changed networks and now they started getting more interference from sci-fi channel there would be one right. guy who visited them once a year while comedy central never gave them notes except just keep doing what you're doing looks yeah. good to me and it was kind of so they pretty much have i'm convinced at this point this has just always been just the time filler kind of program there every station's got one where some program they just could care less about but they just need to schedule something yeah it was never on in prime time or rarely right it was was always always a midnight six o'clock in the afternoon on saturday or 10 or midnight that kind of yeah yeah. much like spinguli joe bob and all those other you know elvira type shows so it was like yeah it's like you want to stay up you can watch this and it's like yeah and it was kind of funny how yeah comedy central acknowledged it yet didn't want to do away with it either because they changed their programming or they got different CEOs. I don't know which one I can never confirm, but yeah, yeah it's like sci-fi is just like, okay, so we're going to just experiment because we want to do something else besides just, you know, air anime movies. And this is years right. before their infamous original movies where they would do intentionally cheesy or so bad they're good movies and here right. uh, yeah they're just which, like which eventually led to uh uh oh come on uh the asylum sharp sharp yeah. yeah and anyway it, it is so wild how it is like uh, like you say uh, when on our off chat it was kind of wild how it's like i mean it, it just made no sense and that's why it infuriated them because it's like you're not going to air these episodes in order anyway so why do you want a storyline <laughs> oh yeah Right, and they even aired the Merlin Shop of Mystical Wonders that had out of sequence uh, slumming it. Ernest Borgnine, you know, a goofy, extremely violent PG thirteen movie. A cat burns up, grief, and it's unintentionally funny. But note to self, but yeah, it's like that aired, you know, like weeks after the show had ended. (laughs) Right, you had that was kind of echoed in uh, season one with Joel. There was one that it shows up as episode three, but they start talking about letters referring to earlier, later episodes. Cause they, they made, I guess if you watch them in order, I, I think it aired later. It, it's confusing too. There was another one that was yeah. out, of, out of the sequence like that. It was this is the, like uh, the first show I've seen where the fans were actually helping, like keeping their paper clippings and uh, yeah. doing all the extra info adding to the imdb it's still very annoying that as i said before like the imdb listed as like 11 seasons and you're like uh no it's 10 seasons but season one yeah. is technically season zero so that's why everyone is even more confused <laughs> yeah yeah and joel has said that he's on record saying that it's non-canon right 
it's the dress rehearsal season. It's the yeah. dress rehearsal. It's the warm up. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at um, Joe, some of Mike's first episodes. I just have a couple notes. There's two, uh, two of his, well, right, like I said last time, the second one he did, um, Brain that wouldn't die isn't all that great. You know, I still they were he was getting used. We were getting used to him more than he was getting used to, to the show, I think. But yeah, Teenage Strangler, of course, is is terrific. There was Santa Mikey Claus, and, which was even yeah. goofier, and oh yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, the movie riffs for me on that one weren't particularly strong, but the segments were great because they got to do a fake metal band and. <laughs> they're clearly oh, having right. fun Santa, watching the movie. Santa it Claus with a K or something, wasn't it? pretty much yeah so yeah. for me that was just a fun watchable <laughs> episode even though it wasn't oh my god like their best material it was still just they pretty much were like this movie is writing itself so let's just coast through it <laughs> it's a good well, special but mike's two mike's first half season two of the movies had to this day i still think the two most obnoxious movie characters ever you had cabot and outlaw of gore remember him uh-huh yeah and yeah. see it's a goofy movie that everyone should just suffer through just to see. Because, like, if you've seen the original Gore, and I'm a B-movie guy, and I have, it is on watchable, boring, bad. And this right. one is, like, it ups the goofy factor, and yet they have to still coast through some boring, not as interesting, much like with some of the other Sword and Sorcery movies. But yet you should still see them because you're like, someone thought this was worth making back in the day, you know, in the 70s and yeah. 80s. And it was based on a misogynistic author's book. So yeah, it's like the, all these people are slumming it in a fantasy movie that could have been good. <laughs> but that character is just, you just want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not a violent person, but you just want to slap him around. And then he's tied with Bo Bridges' character in Village of the Giants. This smart, this smug, just, you know, you just, what are you doing? Remember how full of himself he was in that movie? He was him and so Cabot, I think, himself. are just the two most annoying annoying's a better word even mm-hmm. of, of all the movies i think in the whole history of the show i think but then if i i bet if i start thinking about i mean it, if you think about it more. the title character in teenage strangler kind of is a whole head case in and of himself too because it's like the actor's not sure how to convey it it's like yeah they got oh the janitor no well not the janitor but like the main main character the main killer Oh, I thought that was the janitor. Was he a janitor? I can't, yeah. Whatever he was. Well, he was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You start thinking about it. There's there's obnoxious, there's annoying characters in almost every movie. But and I also well, loved um, Teenage Crime Wave, only for the well. It's, I used it's, to get that those both mixed together because the same kind of thing. Just person. Yeah, run, they're similar. <laughs> causing um, mayhem. <laughs> I think don't they don't they wind up in the that planetarium that they use in Rebel Out of Cause in that movie too. I think they I think they wind up there at some point. I'm sure they do. And so yeah. this is where it's fun to do extra research on some of these movies and you're like eh, but, my God, you know it's somewhere, but man. The thing I, I remember about that, the first time I watched it, Forrester introduces this he says Teenage Crime Wave, a documentary about troubled child actors. And I took him for I for, for a second, oh good, they're gonna do a documentary. That'd be fun to watch him do a documentary. I took him serious that he had nothing to do. His setup for the movie had nothing to do with the movie, but he totally fooled me on his introduction. If you go back and watch that, mm-hmm. I think he said a documentary about, you know, tr- troubled child actors like Dana Plato who turned to crime, you know, stuff like that, which works with the title, but of course it had nothing to do with the movie. But, yeah. But he fooled me for about five seconds before the, the movie started. I thought, oh, this will be fun. This is a different type of movie. you know. Just when you it. think it has something to do with it and you're like, well, it's got so something. So Forrester got the better of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. And just how these go on and on and on and on. And you're just like. Yeah, that's another, yeah, that's another people stuck in a house movies tend to take forever. Back in the day. Oh, man. Yeah. And this well, even is before now, I... we get to <laughs> some of the other ones in sci-fi we'll get to those but yeah this is like yeah. it is funny how uh, they kind of do less and less black and white and just kind of just more just 
obscure 70s and 80s stuff. Hello, hello Sci-Fi Channel. This is Mike Nelson on the Satellite of Love, Lost in Space. Yeah, Mike Nelson or Billy Movie? Oh, <laughs> pain. Hey, come on, guys. I'm trying to access the Sci-Fi Channel's movie library. Think of it. Their movies and Mystery Science Theater 3000. What a combo. Hey, can I get fries with that? Hold on. I'm picking something up. I've seen this one a million times. Mystery Science Theater 3000. And mm -hmm. you get a bit of spy movies. You get a bunch of just utter, just kind of hillbilly terror. And uh, <laughs> I mean, and I think much like how there was some cool stuff in Joel's era, like Last of the Wild Horses, where you saw a very sad Lassie movie. And got to see yeah. the Mads take over the ship. You see a bunch of those as well. And so I think if War of the Lost World were actually legally able to be obtained, which is just so ridiculous, I don't they would make so much money this way. And it's been released numerous times on DVD and Blu-ray, and yet they haven't been able to finalize the MST3K version. I don't know if it's well, because it's under a different title. It's called Escape 2000, not Bronx Warriors 2. Okay. So it seems like half the time, much like Operation Kid Brother and, you know, the James Bond knockoff movie. It seems like some of these Italian movies just weren't properly gone for the right channels and someone didn't want to mess with it or finalize it. Or well, is it is it the studios would buy the movie and they have it for five years, so then they lost that and then MST couldn't have it anymore too, that, that type of thing or it's something like that. It's all about, I, order, it's all about totally. ownership. Yeah. yeah. Like I know when they get to sci-fi era, there were a few movies that were in the Universal Vault and they were like a one-time play only. Like you could play it one or two times and after this day, it yeah. never got re-aired ever again. And it's like, jeez, we have it, the rights to them. We can watch them now on DVD or, or uh, on streaming. And I'm like, well, shit, but that's just it. That's just how it was and yeah. it still is to some extent. There's still some movies that you just can't even legally show just because regardless of what print you got of it, it's just there's like a copyright hold on some of these movies. So it is kind of wild how these go through the channels. <laughs> yeah, and I think with Rift Tracks, they even have a few titles. I think if you bought them, you could keep them, but you, anybody hadn't bought them, to, all of a sudden you couldn't buy them anymore. But I think you could still keep your old downloads. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, I know yeah. some of them, they did good at just saying, hey, you know, you can buy the Rift separately, but you know, nothing else we can do. And there were some yeah. where it was like, no, you're going mean, to, we put so much effort into this. You are getting both the movie and the riff in one as an MP4 file. That's, that's well, I don't know if you know, I do, ra I do random riff tracks posts on um, the riff tracks page on Facebook. And I just, I, nice. random means uh, the order I bought them or the order I, I saw them. But I, I asked them, I sent a message to him. It says, what about the ones that aren't available anymore? He says, well, yeah, just don't talk about those, but you can talk about the ones that are, which makes sense. They don't want you yeah. promote, or talking about a, something that, oh, I'm going to buy this, and then they go to the site and they can't find it. You know, mm -hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> anyway. That makes are you sense. Getting, we already, we're past Monos, right? Oh, way, yeah. way past. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. Joel the, era. So, I mean, with, with yeah. Mike... I guess if I had to select certain ones from... Oh, Rift Tracks took on Monos. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Trace and Frank are doing it tomorrow night, but I'm getting a little off topic here. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm i not going to be able to make the broadcast, but I got my tickets, so I'll get the download the day after. Yeah. So I do like which, how... So, so you got I, that going for you, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I liked Bobo, but it took me a while to appreciate both Brain Guy and uh pearl yeah just because just so different like i just always dug dr forrester and frank's just you know hammy nature d intentionally hammy and there was a great chemistry between him and trace they, it was just so much they fun. Were like they were a like, classic comedy team they're like abbott and costello or something you know they abbott they and costello is definitely the most uh plausible way to put it it's also yeah. kind of a shame that um i mean we talk about, again, Joel is kind of just the more dry, you know, father figure, and Mike is kind of the bigger brother. Uh, right. Bots, uh, 
college almost on. like a college buddy with those with the robots, yeah, yeah a college buddy they can't stop pranking yeah. and i always felt like forrester and frank they were kind of just unofficial brothers you know bastard kids yeah. just hanging out with each other and the bully who pushes you around but secretly likes you and will still feed you after <laughs> he won't lay a hand on you but he will trip you once in a while <laughs> yeah yeah, oh, he's always fun. killing them. Yeah, it was. It was like it was like Warner Brothers cartoons where the characters die and they come back in the next. And it was short. a total, yeah, <laughs> Bugs Bunny convincing Elmer Thud to shoot off, you know, down yeah. his face, but he did it himself <laughs> instead of asking on an idiot. And so they anyway. have some other uh, people who visit them, and it is cool to see again. Like I say, going back to Monos, like the Torgo character appears on here, and it's great again Delivering seeing Mike pizza all the time. Well, and it was it was one thing I did appreciate about Mike. I do like how he kept just doing the supporting characters. He never stopped doing that just because he was host. He was still writing and uh, coming up with ideas with them, and they were testing out the waters, and so that was cool. But, yeah, no, I mean, when you get to sci- sci-fi era, he pretty much, as you've seen from the making of special that they did to promote it, you know, it's like they – and you guys can, everyone can watch it on YouTube. It's still interesting how at that point they were just like, let's just, now the recurring trend is going to be, uh, they move to a different planet every season, you know, like there's yeah. a bunch of wreckage. They each, <laughs> they try to escape once in a while and it never pays off or it's something even more weird. Like they do even go a little further on the, what happens if we don't go in the movie and yeah, so it's like Gypsy will panic on some episodes, and of course, you know, Hobgoblins, they had to escape because it's so bad, but they joke they, oh. they joke that they got zapped, you know, or oxygen deprived, so they had to go back in there. And, but it is funny how they do similar stuff like that on rare occasions where they're like, let's put up a poster of me, and they'll never notice. No, they noticed. <laughs> they can detect. I got I to gotta talk about models just one more time, a quick bit. The first time sure. I... I think the first time I saw Cinematic Titanic, that you could do a meet and greet um, between the movies or after the movie. All five of them are up there signing autographs and stuff. And I, Trace and Frank, I, I just looked at them and said, hey, what about our pop? And I got this blank. They totally forgot about that. I think that's one of the funniest parts of that when when Torgo delivers pizza and Frank goes, what about our pop? Remember that? Which is something everybody's done. But they had totally forgotten about it. And I've read, heard from them later that fans remember the stuff. They just, to them, it's like a day at the office and they forget about what they did. They don't, yeah, don't they, they, they definitely them. did a bunch of that, especially when you ask them <laughs> what were they talking about. Trace is like, I got no damn idea. And yeah, there's a bit of that too where they do little throwbacks and <laughs> they've got a slightly bigger budget. It's a little more darker lit these seasons, especially when you get to sci fi. But I think that was what was interesting too is just like the cinematographer who they had on and he later did a lot of uh I think it was Jeff Stonehouse or something like that and he later did a lot of reality TV and everything and he noted how is like it was so interesting how they had a bigger budget and he's like how do we frame these awful looking you know transferred movies you know on, on the right. screen it's so awful to look at because I gotta line it up with the, you know, the edit yeah that was part of the charm, though, when they had some really bad prints, and and usually the sound sound was pretty good. There was, what was the one? Oh, uh, sorry for sitting through the movie. There was no monster. Remember that one? The yeah, sound on that was they, the sound on that wasn't very good. They would much, do a bunch of that. I never expected yeah. them to try something like, you know, uh, Gumby shorts before their feature. So that was wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, those are some of the strangest cartoons. I grew up with those. They were weird cartoons. They, and they're not so, really cartoons. They're, they're stop action. If anything, they got a little more experimental. And sometimes it paid off. And other times you're like, well, whatever. You know, it's like, so, but yeah, uh, now that we're on. So Comedy Central, we're always discovering something new. I think it's safe to say. And, yep. And, but when you get to Comedy Central, Mike era, I mean, I think... I mean, I, I rented the movie A Mystery Science Theater endless, endless times, and still holds up. I've seen it like every five years, and every year, Hollywood makes hundreds of movies. This is one of them. Mystery 
Gramercy Pictures invites you to the first big screen adventure of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You hit something. You killed the Hubble. At last, the crew aboard the Satellite of Love can tell jokes without a censor. And boldly go where no man or robot has gone before. Hey, I'm experiencing a sensation altogether new to me. And frankly, I love it. Watch the gang from Mystery Science Theater as they watch the science fiction classic, This Island Earth. Captain's log. I've lost my toupee and girdle and I can't leave my room. The supreme excitement of our time. See sights never before dreamed by man. Why'd they put the toilet in the middle of the room? Where captive earth people fight for their lives. Oh, I'm very vulnerable there. Oh, there go the piano lessons. Two and a half years in the making. Oh, no. Tinkerbell's going down. Pull up, Tinkerbell. (laughs) Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie from MCA Universal Home Video. I think the jokes have always held up. It's always been fun to watch. And I get it. I get that the movie they're talking about has some fans. I know people like Joe Dante kind of thought it was cheap for them to cut down the movie. But truth be told, that was the executives cutting out skits from it. And you can only have a movie be so long. You're going to have to cut out some scenes that aren't as involving. But Yeah. So I don't really know what to make of that movie, despite its effects being good. But I do like the Mystery Science movie itself because it's short, it's sweet. Yeah. I don't want to really agree with the executives, but making it short was probably a better idea. But at the same time, I mean, it's it more was, for people that weren't into the show and just to just to enjoy it. Get the greatest the hits. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't do well box office. It did not do well. It was for their I, independent Universal. Yeah, backdrop that, polygram that whole films. barbed wire thing and yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, to do a double feature but, but yeah 96 was a weird year but i think time has continually been kind to it and it's occasionally popped up on something like showtime i've noticed every once in a while so yeah you, you see it and, and some movies are like that i i remember eddie and the cruisers which isn't a great movie by any means but they bombed at the box office and when it was on hbo all of a sudden it was a huge hit you know Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. It's just easier to see movies at home, you know. Well, that's uh, a good way to go about it. Now, yeah. But now it's everything streaming. You know, you know, even stuff that's out in the theaters. You can, you know, I watched the Bond movie already on, on, you know, on on TV, the new one. But um, well, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, oh, let, let's get back. Season six kicks off with probably the greatest movie ever because you get to see Mel Torme playing against type in Girls Town. <laughs> yeah, going back to Counter Central for a minute, it is kind of wild how, yeah, they, they start off pretty strong on just, you know, this is before season seven where they did a Turkey Day special and then did a different version of the Turkey Day special having Night of the Blood Beast. Yep. And oh, I remember that, yeah. It's so wild how they basically uh, yeah, Again, they got to get a little more just kind of underground kind of terror movies and other weird mad scientist films. And <laughs> it was like with these, yeah, it's like you're getting just more of just the weird serial killer movies. <laughs> but, you know, Mel Torme playing a thug. There's a lot of these movies just have odd elements to them. You never, it, it just, that's part of why they're bad. They, they do stuff that just doesn't work. You know, Mel Torme is this kind of a, now I won't say wimpy, but he's just this, he's a good jazz singer, and then he's playing, he's kind of a short little guy, and then he's playing a thug yeah. in the movie, like the game, you know, it's like. Literally nothing plots, it's where it's like, good luck summing it up, and, but I think that's where. <laughs> Paul Anka's in that too, that's right. Yep. A, yep, a yep. very young Paul Anka, yeah. And this is where Mike gets a little more comfortable, kind of just playing along with the robots making like he started out kind of like joel making dry quips and then he's like gets a little more playful or does impressions yeah. on occasions but for the most part he's yeah just kind of just remarking about what nonsense he's watching and i mean it there's always bloopers in each you know episode or season because like joel you know he needed glasses so every once in a while you see him wearing glasses and you're like uh blooper and mike's yeah. I don't really see too many bloopers from him, but sometimes I'm sure he's not actually wearing that hot uniform. He's actually just wearing, dressed up as himself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> clothing. 
Oh, and then you always have the robots falling apart. Yeah. And one, more, one more thing with Girls Town. Who can forget the scene with Paul Anka singing Abba Maria with the nun jamming on the organ? Remember? Yeah. <laughs> There's some crazy bad music in those to where basically Servo makes it his mission to just like explode on a movie from that point on. And there are other times even where I see Crow's mouth isn't matching up. You know, it's like, it's like that. That's the fun, though. Like, yeah, that, bloopers. throughout the series, the series that you'd see that once in a while. But it, I think it's just, you know, the production-wise and stuff. I think sometimes they would add stuff later too. Everyone they totally you, did. Like, Trace how about I make a little this... different? It's like they plugged it in later. Yeah. How would I make? Yeah. Do, do ADR before it was really a huge thing. And uh, there's a lot more experimentation with like even that carries on even the sci-fi channel era where servo implies that there's more than just one of them running around. He's got like a bunch of clones or some shit. And right. it's so wild when he blows them up or has them singing a musical choir, but yeah, as, as they do even more, just kind of even showing what Mike's room looks like, what crow's room looks like and something they hadn't really ta tapped into before. They briefly like showed Joel's room, but yeah. Um, Oh, did they show Joel's room at, at a... They kind of hinted at it, but yeah, they didn't really show they show. They talk about, yeah, talk about more than show, yeah. Oh, in the movie, they went to Servo's room. Yeah, they did. And in, in the basement, you know. Have you ever been able to see the TV's Frank's uh, sticker? I've never been able to find it. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> where... It's like you I... see his face somewhere at the beginning of the movie. Oh, in the movie, I think I did see it because... Uh, I remember it goes that. so fast, so I've never been able to find it. But then again, yeah. I should probably just pause. I was it watching that. something on YouTube where they pointed it out, and I can't remember where where it was. It's in the doorway <laughs> sequence, I believe. That would make better sense. I so. I know I definitely saw it like when I first saw the movie, but I just you know, <laughs> since yeah. then I have not caught it. Um, it is kind of wild how, I mean, the deleted scenes for that movie were actually pretty funny as well, just showing them trying to escape the satellite. But I can also see why someone might have seen it and just said this is going on way too long but yeah i, I think mean, the blu-ray the blu-ray one of the blu-rays has the deleted scenes okay perfect mistaken. finally they, they might quality. talk about frank's face in there too and they had like a mini mini doc in there have to dig that out and look at it nice i, I know they definitely make more reference to like an asteroid attack and it's like that would have been fun because yeah. we were so used to all the other over budgeted blockbuster disaster movies and they pretty much just carry that into the sci-fi channel or anything they didn't get to do. They just kind of do a bit of that is like, especially in space mutiny where they're just making fun of all the spaceships and crashing. And it's like, perfect. Let's have servo and crow waste the escape pods that no one otherwise knew they had and just play a bunch of space wars where they're zapping each other and just crash into the ship. <laughs> it's like, just like, more just, I like the exterior shots of the SOL and the music. It near the beginning too that was yeah that was, nice. that was a nice touch it, it lets you okay this is kind of a bit this is this is a movie now you know it always moved around you couldn't believe yeah. it It was against a green screen and you know yeah three-dimensional and having pearl's ship just kind of float around them following them it was fun but <laughs> With I, band, do, yeah. I do like how they move it back down to a castle and then i guess my only main complaint is the roman times storyline kind of gets a little messy it but it's okay because the episodes themselves are very funny, like the movie they're taking on, but it, that doesn't last too long. They burn it down by accident, if you remember Bobo. <laughs> so I guess you could say we've seen so many of these other movies that were, this is where they got a little more experimental, like Werewolf and Future War. Yeah, that's where it got a little more experimental is like, yeah, these just came out and they're something else. So let's, it made you wonder if I, I know Hobgoblins, I guess, had shown on USA up all night or some point, but yeah, it's like uh, I saw it again, and it's one of those I, I can never watch that episode again because as funny oh, really? as I try to be, that movie is just so bad for me. I'm just like, yeah, no, I can't suffer through this again. Yeah, it's the kind of movie where you start hating the filmmakers. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Even though they are funny, but oh man, deep hurting on that one. And I guess that's one thing I would have liked to see them had come back with if they could have uh, maybe just done more of the deep hurting slogan. 
yeah they kind of don't do it as much um so some other favorites uh again it was cool to see him revisit jodon baker once again final justice so i've seen that one a bunch of times the phantom planet is kind of funny especially because it was made before me too and at one point there is a point where they're like someone called the police when the main bad guy is kind of being creepy towards the female lead <laughs> i don't quite remember that one phantom yeah planet. that was another one where the basically it's a guy once again in a land of giants on an asteroid and he's Oh yeah, I guess all oh, I do remember that now. Oh, that's the one, that's the one with the the big soliloquy speech, you know. A lot of rough yeah. stuff. Okay, but I remember that. Yeah, black it and white. Been, yep. It reminded me of a few different Twilight Zone episodes that were kind of like that, but just not as interesting. But yeah, um, they do a bunch of other just kind of people stranded in space, but they kind of go back to just utter just weird stuff. Um, uh, so yeah soul taker i think is a lot of fun just because it was just a semi-budgeted movie and and frank shows up again frank yeah. shows up again joel showed up again that was a fun reunion and it just kind of it kind of put the rival the unneeded rivalry between the fans to rest and they had fun and it was just so funny just seeing as it you know it made sense because it's dealing with heaven and frank is in second banana heaven enjoying life and so it makes sense for him to come down um gorgo i, I thought was a lot of fun recently that was a which one gorgo that was a british oh yeah yeah when um, leonard malton showed up you know? yeah yeah <laughs> it was like who has given some of their movies two and a half stars yeah laser blast during really? comedy central era and so that was a good to still be just kind of because he was, <laughs> was a, nice, people nice don't think about him up. well yeah and people don't think about him as much but it's like he's still a major critic to this day and they yeah i've got his last book on paperback here from 2015 it's sitting right here so that's fun <laughs> to look look through once in a while when you're trying to look for something Oh, well, totally. Real quick, though, the last episode of the Comedy Central years was Laser Blast. Right, which he reviewed. And and, yeah. <laughs> it was cool for me because there's a Grand Rapids riff in there. It, I think he's yeah. got the gun and then, welcome to Grand, Rap Grand Rapids, are you ready to rock? Or something like that. And so it was a little slam on my hometown, but it was kind of like, we do have a nice uh been handle arena here for concerts and stuff so you know well and that's just it they they pretty much make it fun was probably of starting to become a, famous at that point for that too yeah because i was, think so they, yeah. they there's definitely a lot of stuff that really has aged pretty well because it really hasn't changed all that much and yeah they were always just making a lot of musical references crow would sing something that's a you know lyrics yeah, you to something springsteen or a beatles reference or and, Bob Dylan. So yeah, in both Mike eras, they basically just had yeah, just Servo and Mike would constantly just be dressing up or just making <laughs> jokes and references to hippies and rock concerts. So yeah, I mean, even when they get to Comedy Central, where he's like, "I was part of a band called, you know, Sex Factory or something like that," you know, <laughs> on a time travel, and that was in the I think Time Chasers was it? Yeah. So it's like yeah, they. They, they do all kinds of other stuff in both these, but yeah, the, there are occasion. I think this is where their uh, video quality just keeps improving and they, they don't even really, you know, they used to just rely so much on just Sandy Frank and <laughs> Godzilla stuff. And I think, yeah, at this point, Jim Mallon or anybody else who was picking the movies. I don't know. I'm still not clear on who was picking the movies after Frank left. So I guess. Yeah. That's a, and there was a different gypsy voice too, obviously. I think they pretty much just all suffered together because they had learned before, you know, it's like, okay, you got to actually watch it all. And I know Kevin Murphy still says when they do riff tracks, they got to, again, if they feel like there's just nothing goofy about it or uh unusual you know that they can respond to that's already a bad sign and you know obviously they still kind of try to keep the same mentality as like don't have it be too violent or too you know gruesome or too sleazy to where they can't edit out some of the you know borderline softcore porn aspects and yeah language same kind of deal like if someone has some language you know it's like well we can respond to that and but we're not gonna we're only gonna on occasion curse and we're gonna bleep it out so yeah 
they never did that on the show itself though but um on rip tracks they did but it was interesting how they like you're talking about laser blast that's from empire pictures which becomes full moon entertainment so yeah it's like but it's so funny how yeah you get a lot of these unusual independent companies that were kind of decimating the cable tv and video store rental and movie channels at that point and have since become even bigger or now defunct and are getting blu-ray remasters so there's a bunch of film history from this laser blast has a scene where they blow up a star wars sign too don't they isn't that in there i think there's a I'm an sure ad for is. Star Wars on a billboard and, and he blasts it with a I wouldn't be surprised it was a lower budgeted movie that no one saw but yeah, it, it is funny how yeah uh, they, they just couldn't uh, uh, They ha- I think they just realized it's like uh, let's just have Leonard Maltin on we've already made fun of every other TV persona and at this point you know he was recording segments for home video movies like the little rascals and everything and so it's like yeah this guy gave a clean movie is like Unforgiven, a two out of four. <laughs> oh, really? Malta, really? Well, in all fairness, a lot of people didn't care for that one when it first came out. Yeah. Like Roger Ebert said in his free out of four star review, he had to watch it twice to better understand it. So it is kind of wild. It's, it, well, I'm going to look that up. I, Unforgiven. It's kind of like right. Shawshank Redemption. It's considered a classic, but at the time it was kind of ho hum, you know. I know man. he liked uh, the last Batman movie with. Um, Val Kilmer. Oh, not Val Kilmer. The um, Michael Keaton. No, the the the, the oh, three he... from the later. Um, oh dear, he liked Batman and Robin. Oh. No, no, even later. Oh come on. Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight one. He liked the last Dark Knight over the middle one, which is not a popular popular <laughs> opinion. I don't know if you probably don't like it. Oh, he actually gave like Unforgiven three. I'd see three stars from Unforgiven here, but that might be a different critic too. I know he has other critics in these books. Uh, that might have been it. I, I just know they yeah. say in one of the riffs, they're like, "He gave Unforgiven a two out of four. But okay, yeah, no, it, it is. It was cool to see him on the show, and just maybe he changed it after the episode. <laughs> you know, he changed it in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Roger Ebert would never do that. People don't remember it. It's like, oh, you know, yo, Roger Ebert did it. Okay, I thought you were talking about Leonard Maltin gave it to him. Okay. I got you. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I, I was talking about Malton, but yeah, Roger Ebert would always say when he came out with a review, he's like, "I'm not going to change it because this is for historical sake." You know, if right. I gave it that rating at the time, that speaks a certain layer. So it's like when he talked about The Godfather, he gave it a three out of four. He's like, "I'm, I'm not going to give it a four out of four, but would I now? Sure." But so it, it is interesting to seeing how. Yeah. I think we're now still in a society, especially with film snobs, who's like everything has to be like the lowest possible rating or the best possible rating. It can't be in between. And unfortunately, more than half the time, you're going to see something that's in between and slightly disappointing. Pretty much every movie is in between. Right. And these movies, they just are hard to describe because it's like they're just lost in translation, basically. At this, oh, the Mystery Science Theater movies, sure. Yeah, they they are just and. I do think- a lot of it, and I've I've seen tons of movies even before the show started to air, and I was amazed at where where do they find these things, you know? Oh, totally. Very, very, very few that I'd seen before, maybe half a dozen, you know. And they got to even have more fun, just like building all the other crazy characters from the movies that they were bringing back, like Pitch the Devil and Mister B Natural. <laughs> it's like they have Pearl decides to poison them all at Thanksgiving. I'm like that's dark, but hey, it happens. <laughs> And well, they, um, she did on one of the sci-fi's. She tried to poison on things. No, 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 on Comedy Central. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, Pearl when she was Turkey Day. Okay, when, okay but yeah, when, on, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, on the sci-fi, skits. they kind of did yeah. away with it. They kind of just were like, let's just uh, do another funny. We're going to take over the world. So kind of for me, that's where the show kind of became more like Pinky in the Brain, kind of. <laughs> well, now when they on the turkey days they they're kind of just promoting next season which they did last time around here so so For they sure. didn't really do a lot of the skits but that, mm-hmm. that, that's fine it just and those can those get those are just kind of a small part of the show anyway those but some of those <laughs> jack perkins visiting and 
the care, you know, going way back. That would have been interesting to see him bring it back, but I guess he just dropped it after all. He's like, he's not on biography much anymore. (laughs) Um, Well, then he hosted the hour version, which was always entertaining. You you could watch the shadow play at the end over the credits. He'd always be doing something in silhouette, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, I got season eight, the sci-fi channel. We're, We're still there, but yeah, they, they basically first. start out with the typical universal stuff like Creature from the Black Lagoon. Sequel. Revenge, well, the sequel, Revenge of the Creature. And, right. And who, yeah, yeah. who pops up for five seconds? Clint Eastwood, you know. Right. One of his first now, I remember movies. seeing that. Uh, it was 7 Eleven or one of the chain stores like that. That was on TV in the 80s in 3D, and you could get the glasses at 7 Eleven. I actually did it, I, I watched it in 3D. Oh, wow. That was fun. Rejected and now they're having a 3D episode in the new season. And uh, I think I, yeah, I was, I'm a Kickstarter backer, so I'm getting free glasses in the mail one of these days. So. Sweet. So that'll be fun. They definitely, so during this era, did you ever hear about other movies they wanted to get on the show, but they never had access to? For whatever on sci-fi? Reason? Yeah. They wanted to do, I think they had played around with it earlier, but yeah, Mary Joel and who played Pearl and Bill Corbett, who's both brain guy and the new crow, remarked how they tried to get Charo, which was a, you know. Oh, Elvis, yeah. That was, yeah. That was Presley never made good movies, and that was one of them. And that <laughs> was one of those where he's like, it's just a goofy looking Western. It kind of writes itself, but it would be fun to just have on the show. And it's like, they tra- they said they kept pushing it. They would always ask someone at Universal, give us Charo. And every time without fail there'd always be something last minute uh, it's not available let's check back uh, someone uh, rights issue to uh, clear and so it made you wonder if elvis's widow you know yeah i would think elvis would have been a fan of the show because he, he loved monty python i remember reading about that once he was a huge i'm sure monty he was python a fan, fan of generally any kind of comedy you know because yeah he just was one of many it's so wild seeing I mean, if Frank Zappa was a fan, I'm sure he, uh, which he was, he was a fan of this show. I'm yeah. sure Elvis would be as well. But it is kind of also wild how, uh, like you say, um, they they go into like the Universal Vault movies here and there, and then they just kind of open up with just utter bizarre. They slowly go back into doing a few like dub Japanese movies or weird Italian productions. Uh, what's your take on some of the other creature features? Because for a while it seemed like they were going for the grossest of the grossest movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, almost along those lines. I love the way they use Terror from the Year 5000 and use the title itself as a riff throughout. Any minute now, the Terror from, remember that? They kept saying that. They pretty much it's coming. Did. The Terror from the Year 5000. It never really happened. I think there's finally a frenetic scene that that's the payoff scene, but it was mm-hmm. pretty lame. The, they... <laughs> Well, the leech Trace, woman was leech woman was pretty disturbing. Yeah, they they went for less disturbing but still bizarre and violent ones. And it, like you say, is like uh, the making fun of the titles had kind of been just a mild thing that Joel and Trace's crow had done in Comedy Central era. And here, by this point, they're kind of just going back to that as callback. Is like almost all of them are just a full guns blazing, just always making fun of just the weird looking names and how nothing yeah. ever delivers and um <laughs> and for the longest time i thought that the adam west movie zombie nightmare was in this era but i was wrong it's like no that was later comedy central with mike and yeah it, 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 it feels like it was during yeah, Turkey day kinda, it seems like it was later you're right um yeah. well each woman had that thing when they i'm talking about in the movie that is when the when they stab people in the back of the neck to kill them to get the ser- uh, something out of the life force out of them or something. Oh, um, that was pretty dark. And then the next movie, the mole people, they had um, the sacrifices where they're burned to a crisp. Remember that? They yeah. Them out. That and was then, like, whoa. <laughs> Kids watching that, this? <laughs> and there was one that could have been great, but wasn't. And it was just a bizarre 70s movie called like Attack of the Bat People. And it was like, Featuring Stan Winston, hello, you know, future, you know, award-winning <laughs> effects artist, and here he does this ho-hum TV movie that's not very good. And after a while, it kind of just loses it because it's like the guy is just running on a rampage, accidentally killing people, almost borderline making out with someone. I'm like, jeez, this is a very dark movie. 
<laughs> was it was that on sci-fi channel or yeah yeah attack of the bad people or something like that I, i'm sure it's called something else but <laughs> oh was it, was it a mystery science theater one or no yes that's why I'm oh I, I oh i think i know which one it was yeah i know which yeah well the woman looked like mary tyler moore it's yeah they make fun of how they, she looks they made like a her joke about her being i think that was a season 10 let me see if i can i know which one you mean i was it wasn't it lives by night no that's the one so there you go yeah. and it it was known what was the name of it underneath yeah and it was then, known under something else though so well then parts the clone is horror when they Peter Graves, these... Mike's favorite yeah. guy to riff on. <laughs> well, that scene where they they find out they're harvesting these clones for parts, and the the kid wakes up in the middle of it. You know, and mm -hmm. that that was we're, we're, that's that's the last disturbing thing I'm going to talk about. But there there was a sci-fi years had a few. Um, I think the first season especially had a few disturbing movies like that, at least for one or two scenes. You know, mm -hmm. and I mean. I, it made sense that they would encounter him somewhere along the way because, I mean, uh, yeah. they just had all these various uh, just people who've been in all kinds of movies. And so, lo and behold, it's like they're finally getting access to just more bizarre films that have been making the rounds on antenna channels. But are I don't know why. It's just like they would play them, I guess, probably in more... It was less of a played in a chicago or bigger city kind of ones and just kind of more just under the radar ones like that the movie channels didn't play all that much <laughs> yeah there is one i thought it was sci-fi uh sorry give me a second what's your take here. on squirm oh i was going to talk about squirm um yeah that's, gross that, movie, that but was there second are some to last right? yeah that was pretty <laughs> grotesque the lead actor in that, he's not that good in the movie, Don Scardino. No, not at all. He's, but speaking of movie or something with mystery and theater, I used to listen to the CBS radio mystery theater in the 70s. <laughs> and he was a regular voice actor on there. And he had a great, creepy voice for radio. He, he always, every time you hear him talk on these radio shows, it sounds like something's not right here, you know? The mm -hmm. little Anthony Perkins cycle thing going on. He had a yeah. really good, and you watch him in that movie, you'd never get it. He's just some teeny bopper kid in that, in that movie. But, um, so yeah, you get a chance, look look up a Don Scardino mystery, CBS radio mystery theater. It's, it's a little off topic, but uh, <laughs> as soon as I, I saw that he was in there, I thought, oh, He'd be good in there, but yeah, he's yeah. He's they had a few kind of a bebop in the, in the including the, yeah, and people talked about how basically I re, that was one of the few times where I recalled the director himself who had done some weird experimental movies with eye-catching visuals, like went to IMDb to bash the Mystery Science Theater. He's like, "You guys ruined oh, my movie." I'm like, "Oh, having that big Dana head." Dana Gould's podcast, he they interview the director. He interviews the director. It's one of the more recent ones, but I don't think he ever brought it up. And Dana Gould's a Mystery Science Theater fan. Maybe you just said, okay, oh, I'll talk to him. for just... him later. So I, yeah, I, think, um, I think that was just one thing. He's like, I just want, I understand, and I want to have a very Star civilized Crash. conversation. <laughs> he wrote on Star Crash, yeah. <laughs> Dana, so. Everyone starts yeah. somewhere. Interesting. And then Diabolic, the James Bondy finale, which was kind of a, it was bittersweet, you know, the, we probably, at that point, we, that was the last of the show, you know. Step. Every legend runs its course. Every saga has a climax. And every TV show gets canceled. Bang, bang, bang. Ben Quayle announces his candidacy. Mystery Science Theater 3000, the final episode, Sunday at 9, on Sci-Fi. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of an, I think I'm in the, in the book or somewhere I read that they weren't crazy about that movie to be the last one, but it might have been more of a, maybe Sci-Fi Channel gave it to him or that was it, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think the last there's a little essay, I think, in the Mystery Science Theater episode guide where 
by the tenth season, they had pretty much we're we're done here, you know. They they, <laughs> could, they saw the the writing on the wall or something, but the, those episodes are hold up well though. I mean, you can't really tell from the shows. But um, yeah, they're that, doing a good job of evolving everything. There's that sketch near the end of Joel's era when they're sitting in coffins and. I think he was a little sad about leaving. I think that was embodied there, but I wouldn't yeah, doubt talk, it. Talking about death with the robots, and yeah. So anyway, <laughs> okay, that, that's a cheer. <laughs> oh, I know what I found. I found it. There, there. I it was a sci-fi movie, sci-fi era. Track of the Moon Beast. Remember that one? Uh, the, yeah, there was that one. Yeah, the one I was thinking of was it. It, you, you were right the first time it lives at night also known as the bat people but yeah um yeah that, that's yeah uh track of the moon beast was wild because i just kept getting it mixed up with werewolf because those ones got reran so yeah. constantly they're a little similar but i love the scene in that movie first you got remember the ah when they tried to scare the guy with a mask yeah and the scene immediately after that all the actors in the movie are lined up talking and it looks just like they're doing a line read and it's like totally takes you out of the movie what remember that they're well i think I, so yeah they're lined up in a straight line outdoors there's no reason but yeah and they're just talking back and forth it looks like they're reading the script without having the script there it's one of the most awkward scenes i've ever seen in any movie it's just but it's it's hilarious to watch it it's one of my favorite scenes of any mst movies so check that out again i I think that one's available, right? I don't. I don't think that one's out of print. Track of the Moon Beast. I think you can still get that one. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Then, of course, then they did Hamlet two late, two episodes later, which that takes. Yeah. Oh boy. So, <laughs> where do you stand on that one? That's often one of the ones that both cast and fans have said is just such a slog to get through, just because the movie's just way too bad. Yeah. And it's not that it's unprofessionally made; it's that it is. Oh, it's, it's, not, it's odd it, it's, it's very dumb. odd it's hard to follow unless you're like a shakespeare know-it-all and yeah. it gets annoying because even though it has the courtesy of not i don't want to talk about ricardo montalban there he is there as like an uncredited that's right. voiceover and, that's right I, I, and they're like we agree with con so someone did their homework <laughs> saying this sounds like con but um it it's even though it doesn't feel like a film stage play it's just it's just one of those just bizarre dubbed German movies, and it's not that the dubbing is bad. It's just you don't know who to follow, and it's just. I kind of like the challenge aspect of it, though, because I I'm always been intrigued by it. I haven't watched it that much, but I I kind of like Hamlet. MSP. And well, and all all the episodes are worth watching, but there are going to be some where you're like, yeah, yeah. No, that movie took it out of me. I can't. Well, yeah, they're it. doing something different here. It was that kind of thing, you know. And, mm -hmm. and plus, it's Hamlet, you know. And plus. Maybe they're taking a little pomposity out of Shakespeare. I don't. Uh, Frank Connors on record is hating Shakespeare, but he wasn't there at that point. <laughs> so maybe that's what. Maybe it was an end joke because of Frank. You know, who knows? Maybe I don't know. Because they remembered that. There so, definitely yeah, were movies where you're like, yeah, no, we can't do anything with this, and so and so. The, girl, the girl in gold boots was a fun one. I should re-see that. Uh, that was another one where it was like, man, this is sleazy as all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why it was fun. I don't know. <laughs> and then that was right after Soul Taker. Let's see, Future War, Bloodwaters of Doctor Z with that weird, weird, weird sub Bob Dylan theme song. You know, just that was. That's that one was... that doesn't really seem to get as much attention, and for whatever yeah. reason, everyone else. I like Boggy Creek too a lot too. That was a fun one. Uh, they're looking for Bigfoot or whatever. Yeah, the only time, I mean, they had that one Jaws knockoff giant shark movie. I forget the name. Yeah, that was, was that, that's a sci-fi one, I think. Yeah, I'm talking sci-fi, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was so wild because at that time, for one split moment, someone, uh, um, you almost see a man's full frontal and they had to, they caught it later on and they had to have the MSG3K logo bleep it out briefly. For oh, Okay, yeah, no, that was that was sci-fi, yes. And it's so wild they, how they, they do did that. Killerfish on Killerfish with that Jonah, was but the there one. was there was one. I know which one you're talking about, but that was still Mike's. What was that? 
I'm not confused. Not one that was the one that I had the misfortune of seeing uncut, and it doesn't make any difference. It's way more tasteless, <laughs> even. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, this one here basically. Devilfish. Devilfish. That's the Devilfish. one, yeah. And they just basically. Season nine, nine they 11. Just burst into song on that <laughs> Episode one. Episode 9 11. Devilfish, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and just make fun of how people are this close to having sex on a beach and other shit. But yeah, it's like yeah. with. Uh, yeah, with. Uh, Bobby Creek, it was funny how they they missed the part where someone just exclaimed shit and they just kept it in because it's like it's cable TV and it's you know, late at night, no one cares. But. Yeah, the outhouse scene, it was pretty grotesque. <laughs> I don't know if it was tied in with that. And then it's been pointed out that Servo is extra horny in that one too. Some of the, he just he was talking about the two girls out there with him and he, he was starting to get a little <laughs> out of hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put it in check there. I think I think Mike was yelling at him too. Yeah, he'd always kind of hinted that he was kind of horny because he like Joel would always cover up partial risque yep. stuff and cover and their tap, eyes. You know, you always see him tap him on the shoulder or whatever mm -hmm. the gumball or whatever to cool it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought Crow was more sleazy, but yeah, as it goes on, it's basically circles the perv at points. <laughs> Another sleazy one was Horrors of Sp Spider Island. Oh my God! Yeah, it, pronounce that first word correctly. Yeah, just a horror movie, but <laughs> and you don't even see anything violent or sexual. But it is one of those. It's like, where am I following? Oh, yeah, watching it on these people in the bikinis running around by a guy who's turned into a spider. <laughs> strange one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Diab and then it, I liked I liked the way they ended the series with Mike seasons with Mike with um back watching them. TV in the basement. It kind of puts you like, it's like what you're doing, what you've been doing all these years. You've been watching this on TV and your couch in the basement. How they ended it with the Italian, you know, spy movie, which was already pretty popular, Danger Diabolic, was pretty good. But to have them just crash was also just a wise way to end the show. Yeah, and then survive. I think I think weren't they toying with the idea of them having actually getting die in the crash? I didn't. They I don't know thought, about that, but I... They might have thought I, that for a minute and said no. They did hint yeah. that they would reunite at Joel's, who's now, you know, ever since he escaped, is now working at, like, a restaurant, which actually exists. <laughs> okay. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little popping history up. Yeah, all popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. 
hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey, everybody. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes of gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Steven at eilfm.podbean.com We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.